Backup is now the number one use case for public cloud, according to ESG. So as we draw near to the one-year anniversary of the Steel Store acquisition, we decided to bring in product marketing lead for AltaVault, Rachel Dines, to tell us all about how it works and how a new tier of AWS cloud storage with NetApp integration balances cost and access. This one's all about AltaVault to the cloud. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Pedro Arrow. Size Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast, episode number 10. Dude, we made it to 10. What do you think of that? Double digits. That's yes. an accomplishment, right? Absolutely. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as always is... The amazing, the outstanding, o cara muito legal, Glenn Sizemore! <laughs> Sound familiar? That's our good friend Neto, man. That's awesome. <laughs> he insisted. Joining us as always again is Mr. Sullivan. Welcome back to the studio, Andrew. Thank you. It is great to be back in RTP. Something about... Uh, Seeing rain, we've had several days of rain now, which is something I think our West Coast friends haven't had in, I don't know, ever. Yeah. 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 If they could take, like, any of this, that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I don't know about you, but my lawn is green, and I'm happy. I'll take the rain. Yeah. Green means I have to mow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about over here. Well, today we are here to talk about a product that is new to the NetApp portfolio, AltaVault. And joining us is the AltaVault guru, a Southie girl. Her name is Miss Rachel Dines. Rachel, how you doing? Doing all right. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Before we dive into AltaVault, why don't you tell us a little bit? I know that you're kind of new to NetApp. Why don't you give us a sort of an explanation as to how you came to NetApp with your product? Yeah, well, actually, I'm almost coming up on my one-year anniversary, thinking I might have a little party. Um, but no, I um, I came over to NetApp as part of the acquisition uh, from the from Riverbed of the product, formerly known as Steel Store, now known as AltaVault, uh, last uh, October 27th. Actually, it's marked in my book, marked in my memory forever, because it was a great day that the, the whole team from Steel Store, that uh, was Riverbed's cloud-integrated storage appliance for backup and archive, came over and joined Team NetApp. Uh, and then a couple months later, we re-released the product with a new name, AltaVault, and uh, and now we're we're, we're cranking, uh, coming up on one year, and um, yeah, really excited to be part of this team. Nice, nice. So I had the opportunity to present with you at VMworld, and that was actually my first introduction into the the product suite of AltaVault. I was pretty excited. So uh, I told Glenn and Andrew that we definitely needed to get you on. Have you guys played with it at all? I have not had an opportunity to go hands-on yet. No, it, it's it's something that, that uh, is on my list of things to do. Yeah. yeah I haven't used AltaVault. Same, guys, because it's so easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I haven't used AltaVault, but I have used, in a previous life, some of our competitors. So I am familiar with the product. Oh, okay. All right. Well, why don't you well, give I us the 101 then? Yeah, and after this, I hope you guys go download it from the uh, go download the free trial and start playing with it because it's actually really, really easy to use. I can install it and run it myself, and that's saying something. Remember, I'm a marketing person. Um, so, the the thing about the the AltaVault appliance, formerly Steel Store, uh, is that it, this is a way to give customers a really simple approach to cloud integrated backup. Uh, so, what it is, it's a physical or virtual appliance. There's also cloud based appliance, but let's 
let's hold off on that for a second. Physical or virtual appliance that sits in the customer's data center, they use their existing backup software. So, you know, could be TSM, could be Commvault, could be Veritas, Veeam, could even be Networker. You know, not saying I advocate for it, but, but it could be because we integrate with pretty much everybody. Yeah. Uh, they take their backup software, point it at the AltaVault appliance. It's a SIFS or NFS device sitting on the network. The appliance inline deduplicates, encrypts, and compresses the data. And by the way, this is inline variable length deduplication, so it gets really, really killer data reduction ratios. Nice. Uh, it keeps a local copy on the appliance and also immediately vaults off to the cloud. This is the magical part. This is the part that is really the secret sauce because uh, it can send data to the cloud wicked fast. We've established I'm from, from Boston. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it can do this because this product was built by Riverbed, which is the really, they're, they're really good at WAN optimization. You know, that's what Riverbed's known for. Yeah. And all of that secret sauce is baked into the appliance. Um, and it, so it sends the data to the cloud, and it can be really almost any cloud. So we're, we support more than 20 public and private cloud providers today. So pick your favorite, you know, AWS. Azure, SoftLayer, Google, could be private cloud, uh, you know, uh, storage grid, web scale, uh, could even be Atmos, you know. So I mention this because, you know, not, not trying to plug EMC products, but a core important piece of this solution is that it's open. You know, we don't ever want to lock customers into an end-to-end NetApp solution. If they want to, please, I love it. But uh, if they want to, you know, go with a more heterogeneous environment, we're always going to be supportive of that. Sure. Okay, so I guess we should just start peeling this onion and getting down into to some of the details of uh, some of the unique stuff. So uh, we mentioned at the very top, Rachel, that uh, the protocols were, were SIFs and NFS. Um, is there any, like, streaming target uh, integration directly from, from the various vendors to, to, the, to the appliance, or is it always over uh, some sort of POSIX interface like NFS or SIFS? Yeah, today it's always over NFS and SIFS, um, and you know, we, we do qualify with all of the, those leading providers. I mean, I remember how many the list. It's up to something like 12 different leading providers. That's yeah, it's kind, of, but it, that's, it, it's kind of ridiculous. I don't know how you keep it straight. Um, yeah, I mean, don't ask me to recite them all. I could try, but it, it's, it is a lot. Um, I basically tell customers, look, if you've got a backup software solution that more than three people are using, we probably support it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but then the interface is always SIFS NFS on the front end. So you can think of Altavault as speaking two languages. Out of the front end, it always speaks SIFS NFS. And out of the back end, it always speaks uh, S3 or OpenStack Swift. So, Rachel, I heard you mention that it uses both SIFS and NFS on the front end, and it just translates into object stores on the back end. Um, so I, I suspect that one of the first questions that you're probably always going to get is, well, that's great. Can I use it as my as my NFS file share for my application, or can I use it as my home directory? It, <laughs> it, that that just doesn't sound very smart to me. But then again, I'm a I'm a pretty simple guy, so yeah, it's a really common question. Um, and and so I, I often I'm like, oh God, let's not go there. But it's 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 a it's an important thing to address. So AltaVault is tuned for backup and archive. Period. If you try and hook it up and start using it as your home directory, it honestly just won't work. I've seen people try and do it. And this is because uh, the whole appliance is optimized for these bulk batch backup uploads, right? It's optimized to be getting data from a, back, from a backup application and the way it sends the data. So if you try and start using it as a file share or home directory and all the little reads and writes going back and forth, it's just not going to perform. Um, and so we, we definitely do not recommend customers deploy it in this manner. It's always for you know, the backup or the archive workloads. 
Now that said, um, there is an interesting use case for the appliance that's starting to grow, and I call that the cold storage use case. And in this scenario, you actually don't necessarily use a backup software or even archive software solution to send the data in. You do mount the appliance directly as a SIFS or NFS share, but you need to just do batch dumps of data onto the appliance and, and vault it off to the cloud. So like quick real life example of that. King County, which one of my favorite favorite customers because they're, they're so great, largest county in the state of Washington, they're actually about two million people, so it's bigger than, than some states. Um, they are using, they've been using AltaVault for backup and uh, for, the, for backup, actually they replaced their data domains and their tape environment with AltaVault. But then they also were like, you know what, we could use this for, for auditors as well. And we could mm -hmm. have them just once a year dump all of their files that they need to keep basically forever, but they don't. They know they're not going to touch them again onto the appliance uh, and just immediately vault it off to the cloud. Uh, and in that scenario, we actually suggest that you deploy the appliance in what we call cold storage mode, meaning that the local there is no local cache. The, so when I talked before about keeping a local copy and vaulting off to the cloud, in cold storage mode, you actually don't do that at all. The data flows straight throughout to the cloud because we're making the assumption that you're not going to really want that data back anytime soon, if ever. Uh. Ah, okay. Rachel, I know that there are some considerations about capacity and, and from an architectural perspective when we when we flip between the cold storage mode and, and the archive mode. Can you touch on some of that stuff real quick for the listeners? Yeah. So, right. You might be thinking, why would I want to go to cold storage mode if, if it just means I'm not going to keep a local copy? What's the benefit? Yeah. Well, of course, the benefit is that the appliance becomes a lot more scalable. So take, for example, and, and I can talk in a minute about the different ranges of appliances and the scales that they come in, but take, for example, the 32 terabyte appliance um, that that we have, uh, that's kind of our, our our core low end hardware appliance. It has 32 terabytes of cache and it can support up to 160 terabytes of data in the cloud. Quick rule of thumb: for every one terabyte of data in cache, we support up to, we support five in the cloud. So it's a one to five relationship. That's okay. in backup mode. In archive mode, that one to five relationship goes away. A 32 terabyte physical appliance with 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 32 terabyte appliance can support 10 petabytes in the cloud. So you just stretch that appliance a lot further um, by going into cold storage mode. Now, downside is you don't have that local cache, so we don't recommend people using this for backups because every time you do a restore, you have to pull data back from the cloud as opposed to the local cache. But you know, if you don't anticipate having to do a lot of restores, this is a good way to deploy the appliance. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a couple of different sizes that, that come with AltaVault, right? Aren't there like three bundles for AltaVault? Yeah, so um, the virtual appliance comes in 8, 16, and 32 terabytes. So the virtual appliance, by the way, it's software only. Uh, it's uh, either VMware or Hyper-V. And you know, so the, the 8 terabytes supports 40 terabytes in the cloud. This is all pre-dedupe, right? So you apply some nice dedupe numbers here. This gets a lot bigger. But let's just you know start on a level playing field and talk about usable capacity. Um, so the 8, 16, and 32 terabytes. And then the physical appliances go up much larger from there. So we have two appliances, the AVA 400 and the AVA 800. Um, and the, the main difference between the two, as you can imagine, is capacity, but also ingest. So uh, the, 30, the AVA 400 ranges from 32 terabytes to 192 terabytes. And that gets five and a half terabytes an hour of ingest from the backup into the appliance. The AVA 800 goes from 48 terabytes to 384 terabytes. So that's just a pretty massive appliance right there. Once again, this is all before dedupe, which could be as high as 30x. Um, and that appliance gets an eight terabyte per hour ingest rate. 
So there's kind of there's a lot of different solutions here for different sized organizations, uh, and you know, or potentially different deployment models. So why would I ever use the virtual appliance as opposed to the physical? A lot of people like the virtual appliance because they're, you know, virtualization geeks like you, Pete. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, virtualization, the virtual appliance gives you the option of, you know, bringing your own hardware, so your own server, your own storage. So sometimes I talk to customers that say, you know, I actually have some, some extra disk lying around, maybe it's, you know, some extra E-series that I, ha I haven't been able to use, and I want to sort of transform that into a deduplication backup target. That can be one option. Um, another good option, though, for the virtuals is for branch and remote offices, especially for you know sites where you're trying to slim down on the amount of hardware you have on site. And then, of course, the virtual appliances scale a lot smaller than the physical ones. You know, th since they get down to eight terabytes, you know, for for smaller organizations, that makes a lot more sense. You know, the in the backup target mode, uh, where we do have that local cache. Uh, as I understand it, uh, the the AltaVault software actually has quite a bit of intelligence baked into it, uh, and 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 it's all tied around trying to control those cloud costs and control uh, when we have to do gets and when we have to do puts and 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 when we have to access the data because you know in 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 those cloud storage tiers, while it is cheaper uh, to to store that data, you know, for a very very long time, you you actually have to pay for that stuff. You know, it's not free to access it. Um, so could you kind of touch on some of that stuff and how that works inside the AVA? Yeah, no, it, you, you raise a really good point. I just had a customer ask me about this yesterday. It's an important thing to think about, right? Because it's free to put data in, but not free to take it out. It's a little bit, I hate to call it Hotel California, but just, just a little bit. Um, and so we, we acknowledge that and we can try and help you control, help customers control for that. There's two main ways. One, um, the algorithm on the appliance, you're right, Pete, it, it is quite complex. It's not just the first in, first out for, for data that gets uh, evicted from the local appliance and lives only in the cloud. It actually uses least recently used LRU. Um, and the way that we've implemented this, if you deploy the appliance the way we suggest with the cache size that we suggest, which is an exercise we go through uh, at the beginning, 95% yeah. of restores happen locally. So you don't ever have to, you know, only 5% of the time are you going to the cloud at all. It's, you know, obviously you need to have an off-site copy. That's what the cloud is for. Sure. But if you deploy this right, you're only going to the cloud 5% of the time, which means only 5% of the time you've got that, that, uh, that egress fee from the, the, from the provider. That's one way we can help control costs. The other way is, you know, if you, you guys are all familiar with, with services like Amazon Glacier, mm -hmm. super cheap. Actually, Amazon just dropped their price on Glacier. It's now point oh, it's point seven cents. So it's under one cent per gig per month for Glacier to store it. But, of course, to retrieve that data is a little more expensive, right? So when uh, an AltaVault appliance it knows it's attached to Glacier, it actually can throttle the restores for the customer if – Let's say they're not in a hurry to pull data back. They, it's not an emergency. They can wait a day or so. We can slowly throttle the restore and not have a massive overage charge from your egress uh, for Glacier. Now, of course, if you want to override that and say, I don't care how much it costs, give me all my data, we can do that too. But there's, you know, there's some nice little options there to help protect customers from massive cloud bills. I like that. Yeah, that, that, in, in many ways, that, that is perhaps the most impressive thing uh, about the AltaVault uh, software suite is, is that you know, we've we've mentioned it a couple of times so far in this episode, but it's it's the portfolio and the plethora of of, or rather, the ecosystem is probably the correct way of putting it, right? It's the ecosystem that this thing supports. You know, the fact that it has this uh, deep level intelligence and integration into 
any cloud provider you could ever want to use, uh, and a couple you've probably never even heard of. Yeah. Uh, and then on the on the backup software suite, very much the same uh, as Rachel said. You know, if, if if they've got more than three customers, we probably support them. Um, <laughs> so it's 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 incredibly impressive. But but it's not just the check the checkbox. Yes, we implemented an S three or CDMI interface. It's check the checkbox. We implemented it, but then also we tuned the, the OS so that it, it, it understands this environment that it, it's restoring into, and it's aware of the economic impacts, you know, the, 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 the impact of, of how it works inside that environment. It's yeah. very impressive. I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that there's actually all this complexity under the cover, but on the surface, it's such a simple appliance. Like I was telling you, I was daring you guys earlier to go try and install it. I'm serious. Um, and, you know, for the listeners as well, we do have, you know, you can download it and use it for 90 days for free. Um, and it, it, it's not like a, a demo version of the appliance. It's the actual virtual appliance that you can try out. It's very deceptively simple, which makes it fun for me to market because at a high level, I can be like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, put your data in, goes to the cloud. But then you dig in and you realize that there's a lot of nuances, a lot of really amazing technology baked into this thing. We haven't even talked about the cloud appliances. So, you know, we can also recover. The, my favorite little thing, that's a little feature that's in the appliance um, that, that's so cool and no one else comes anywhere near being able to do this is the fact that we can actually recover in the cloud. Yeah, I know that's super cool. Yeah, so like let's say you lost your data center, right? Your data center's gone. AltaVault's gone because, you, you know, the smoking hole, obviously. Flood, whatever, yeah. Yeah. Smoking hole scenarios are really uncommon, and you know the ex-disaster recovery analyst in me is saying, "Don't say smoking hole," but let's just pretend the you know data center's gone. Maybe the power's out. Um, maybe it's flooded. It's raining like cats and dogs here, um, and the, you can't access the appliance. If you've backed up to AWS or Azure, you can go on their marketplace, spin up a cloud-based appliance. And then uh, if you have your backup software also running in the cloud, you can restore your data in the cloud. And it doesn't, you know, that new appliance doesn't ever need to have seen the original appliance. It can be brand new. You could also do this with a virtual appliance at a second location. And um, all you need is the config file from the original appliance that you import to the new one. And that gives you the encryption keys and, um, and, and basically the map to put the data back together. Wow. So this is backup NDR almost. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, I call it a poor man's DR. It's yeah. not yeah. going to be super fast. Um, this is more of a, like, worst case scenario, you know, pull cord and worst case scenario. Uh, and, but it could also be something that maybe this is your DR plan for your less critical systems. Your more critical systems you have a more robust solution for with replication and snaps and metro cluster. But for things that are, you know, a little bit less critical, this could be one option. Or this is the absolute last resort DR plan. Well, it's, it's, it's cool because, you know, it, it's very much a, a software-defined integration, right? It's, it's, not, uh, it, it's not actually tied to the appliance or the deployment or, or any of that stuff. It supports being deployed in any proliferation of configuration we could come up with, you know, whether it be the random robo use case uh, with, with the pure virtual appliance or, or a pure cloud deployment uh, or the more traditional on-prem deployment. And, and, and the reason that I think that's really, re, uh, really neat and, and really powerful is because, you know, as we go forward, everything's changing. You know, we're, we're, we're you know, I've said this multiple times, we're in the middle of a transition. Yep. Everything is changing around us. And, and you know, we're, we are all coming to grips with what that means. Uh, and, and it's getting ready to just get even faster and harder with the storage class memory stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, with the just the complete 
ecosystem and that flexibility, it makes it so that you don't really have to worry about those problems. You know, that it, it, it's a very simple value proposition. Oh, you have backup and archive requirements. Okay, here's this thing that can help you dramatically simplify your architecture and control some of those costs for that long-term archive. Because, you know, we talk about cloud storage costs and, and how they're not really, you know, cloud storage is where all the cost is oh, in, yeah. in cloud computing, yep. right? But Iron yeah. Mountain oh, ain't yeah. cheap either. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right? I mean, well, you can fit a ton of data. in the cloud, right? I mean, we can talk about these price drops all your, all, all, all the time, and it's great, but you're right. I mean, over uh, uh, the lifetime of a, of a data set, it can be really expensive to store it in the cloud if you don't dedupe it, compress it, and, you know, make it as small as possible. Um, and that's part of why, you know, just pure backup to the cloud on its own, you know, may or may not, you know, save you a ton of money. Backup to the cloud with AltaVault, can actually save quite a bit of money. Yeah, because you're you're using every storage efficiency technology known to man at this point. You're just piling mm-hmm. them on one on top of the next, on top of the next, and just getting it as small as humanly possible. Exactly. Can I ask you guys a quiz question? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what do you think the number one? Okay, pretend you don't know. I'm a backup expert and obsessed with backup. <laughs> what would you think is the number one use case for people who are using public cloud today? Netflix. Devon test. <laughs> Netflix is a great user of AltaVault, actually. I'd love to tell you more about Netflix. Um, DevonTest is what we would all think, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the use case that we hear a lot about, and it makes the most sense. It's actually the second most common use case after backup and archive, is according to ESG. About uh, a little under half of p- companies that are using the cloud today use it for backup and archive. 38% of people who use cloud use it for test dev. So I always, I always like to throw that stat around when, when uh, you know, to show my cloud cred. <laughs> it actually surprises me, though, because I haven't heard of mm-hmm. a lot of customers myself that have been really leveraging the cloud for backup, but I always hear people talking about dev and test. Well, I think you have to take into account the difference between cloud storage and cloud compute. Yeah. Right, because in this instance, we're not really using cloud compute. It's it's all the storage. Yeah, exactly. We're not. I mean, in an all default scenario, unless you were doing that like recovery in the cloud, it's it's just storage. But no, it's just an interesting fact. I mean, I I think the reason is backup and archive is not that sexy, right? I mean, I can admit it. Um, it's you know te- test dev and you know some of the stuff that you can do with the elasticity of cloud is is. You know, I can admit that it's it's a bit more exciting. Um, backup and archive is one of those things like taking your vitamins. Um, you got to do it, but you know, no one really likes it unless you have those gummy vitamins. Yeah, yeah. those are good. No, nobody pays attention to it until you lost data. Yeah, backup's boring. It's recovery that's always exciting. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah well, that's very true. And that's something that I've always liked about the these types of systems, right? And that tape is not necessarily known for its reliability. There's always that. Uh, is this tape gonna gonna work? Do I have to worry about the? Do I have to worry about it not being able to read or anything like that? Uh, you know, particularly if you're shipping them around and they have been in uncontrolled environments, right? The back of a truck. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, whereas when you go into you know any type of cloud provider, there's pretty much guaranteed data integrity there, and it's a lot easier to get that data back, a lot faster usually too. Sure, sure. Rachel was uh, co-presenting with me at VMworld, and she she says to the audience. Uh, uh, she was polling the audience on who's doing what, and she said, and for those of you using tape, please don't raise your hand. I will shame you privately, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be so mean about it because so many companies still use tape, right? I mean, the latest stat I saw is like about half of enterprises still have tape in their backup architecture. I but, still think um, tape has a place. I don't, I, w- really? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I do. Oh, I tape, truly tape do. Tape absolutely has a place. Yeah. Tell me how. Uh, so 
things that you literally never need to access, right? Yep. And why are you backing it up? Because otherwise you go to prison. There, there are requirements. There are requirements that you must be, you must protect data for compliance reasons. And when the when the subpoena comes down, the 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 laws are written such that it's not that you must be able to restore the data. You must be able to prove that you did back it up and that you attempted to restore it. It's okay if the tape fails. Really? Yeah. Because that was going to be my argument. Because if, if, if you really need to have, by law, this data backed up in order to recover it, if you can't recover it because you got a bad tape, you're screwed anyway. You're gonna, you, you, are you really going to lock people up because mechanical tapes fail? Absolutely. No, that's not how laws are written, man. That, that, I that, think they should go to jail. Yeah, listen, they definitely should go to jail. When Donald case. Trump is president, that's what's going to happen. Oh, God, please, God, no. <laughs> please stop. Okay. Okay, we've digressed. But, but no, that, that, that's, that's the use case, right? The use case is when you are backing up for compliance reasons and you're backing up massive data sets. Um, you just can't, you can't touch the, the, the media density uh, that you get out of tape these days. And, and it continues to go up. So, again, I still think it has a place. Now, do you want to use that for that workload where you actually want to be able to get it back in a timely manner? No. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the second use case is, you know, never underestimate the bandwidth of a FedEx truck and a box full of tapes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you've got petabytes of data that you have to seed, you will spend years trying to get it into the cloud. Actually, that's Wait, a, that's does a that FedEx truck not deliver SATA drives? Rachel, that that's a yeah. really good question. Um, how how does a customer go about that use case. Let's let's just go ahead and, and take that head on. So I've got a petabyte of data that I am trying to to get backed up so that I've got a second copy of this thing and, and I want to control the costs. Uh, is, is that just point the data set and let the AVA start chewing through it? Or are there some sort of, uh, are there any kind of systems we can use to, to get that up there quicker? Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately at this point, it's chew. Um, the rate at which it goes might might be faster than you are imagining. We have customer. I think our largest customer is protecting eight petabytes of data right now in the public cloud. Um, wow. And yeah, I mean, so we we can handle scale here. What what usually what they do is they set up the alt vault appliance in parallel to their existing backups. Um, they they still continue to backup the way they normally did, but then they also send backups to the alt vault appliance and let that sync in the background. Once it's synced, and yeah. If it's a petabyte, it might take a month. Um, it, then they can rip out their other solution uh, and just go ahead with all the vault alone. Now, the restore piece I'm less concerned on because of what I was talking about earlier, which was the, the fact that we have the, the least recently used in the cache, the local cache on the appliance. It's going to be a really rare scenario that you are restoring petabytes of data from the cloud. Yeah. Um, so it's the to the cloud that is that is definitely it can take a little bit. I mean, we haven't solved the the laws of physics here. Um, you know, there is there is still limitations that we that we deal with. But it's it, I do challenge that it might be faster than a lot of people expect. Come on, um, you don't have quantum entanglement in these controllers yet. What's going on here? I mean, we're working on it, and you know, NASA is one of our great customers that is working on it as well. I'm sure. Um, but uh, you know, if we could send data to space. That's an idea. Um, but you can send it out there. You just can't get it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, well, yeah. Um, but, but, but anyhow, we, ha we did have a customer in Australia. <laughs> In Australia, that was um, backing up to cloud with one of the, a cloud connector in their backup software, which, you know, cloud connectors and backup software can, can work in certain circumstances, but they were running into challenges of it had been like 
three months and their data wasn't syn- wasn't hadn't synced to the cloud yet. Yeah, that's um, that that's the problem with all those solutions. You know, whether it's right. it's backup archive or like hypervisor integration or 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 just basic data, you know, replication. You know, if you take a look at at you know something something like SQL Server, right? Uh, SQL Server availability groups. You know, technically those can synchronize and keep uh, d- data available in two two locations. Yep. But all of those solutions today require a fat pipe. All of them. Yep. Well, I think yep. it's important to point out, right? If you're still running a T1 and trying to back up to the cloud, it's you're not going happen. to have a bad time. Yeah. 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 What about a fractional no. T1? Wait, well, well, and this is where the AVA is 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 incredibly interesting, and and Rachel touched on it, right? You know, their DNA, you know, this appliance's DNA came from a company that that network optimization is is how they make their money. Yep. Right. So all of that is just baked in there. And now we're just focusing on the part that we're great at, which is the storage piece. You know, so it's it's, yeah. it's very, very, very complementary. Yeah, it's an exciting pair, I think. I think so. So you guys brought up Netflix a minute ago. I wanted to give a quick plug for um, uh, one of the sessions that I'm doing at Insight with Netflix. Okay. Um, so, you know, Netflix, they're, to me, they're like the poster child for AWS. They, they talk all the time about how they're all in with AWS. They're 100% cloud. Um, and, you know, they have no more on-premises infrastructure, but... Uh, I have a dirty secret that we're going to air at, ne- at, at Insight, and Netflix is co-presenting with me to talk about they do actually still have a data center. They have, they have some things that cannot run in the cloud. We'll talk more about it in the session, but it actually comes down to a lot of testing for um, like PlayStations and TVs and, and, and testing their, their software on physical devices. Um, and so they back up uh, that data center with AltaVault to AWS. Um, and, I, you know, I love it because I feel like I'm a part helping make some of my favorite Netflix TV shows a reality. You know, so you, every time you watch, uh, you know, Orange is the New Black or, or House of Cards, you can think of, of me. No, I'm just kidding. Real, it really is. Um, but but it, it, is a, it is a cool story, and, and I'm excited to have Netflix there presenting at, at Insight about it. Great. Now I'm thinking about you in, a, in an orange prison okay. <laughs> outfit. The, the, um, <laughs> Damn it, Pete. <laughs> Speak, uh, speaking of internet pipes, I think Netflix accounts for something like one-third of all internet traffic at periods during the day. So, yeah, they don't have to worry about uplink speeds. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, you got a bunch of sessions at Insight. You're doing you're doing one with Netflix, which probably sounds like the coolest one. But I, I, had a, I heard a rumor that you're doing a co-presentation with probably a much less interesting speaker. Why don't you share some of the sessions you're doing at Insight? As Pete plugs this session. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume you're referring to the, the session that I have to do with Pete, who's right. the worst co-presenter I've ever had in my life. That's the one. Um, no, just kidding. Well, Pete and I are going to talk about um, high availability and disaster recovery for VMware, uh, specifically NetApp environments. Uh, it, you know, this session... I have to say is awesome. Um, it's actually almost sold out too. So um, you know, go sign up now if you haven't pre-registered for it. The code is 1998-2. It's going to be a really good session. We we did a version of this at VMworld and got had a standing ovation and people cried and asked for our autographs afterwards. So it's it was great. moving. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, no, but 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 all joking aside, it actually is really exciting. I, I think we've put together a cool story there. So beyond that, um, I'm gonna. I mentioned already. I'm gonna be talking with. Uh, I'm gonna be co-presenting with uh, Netflix. Uh, one of their storage administrators is is coming down for it. That that session is 
1759, also co-presenting with another customer that I mentioned earlier on this call, King County, Washington. Um, really, really great story. So not, not you know, they're, they're not Netflix, but um, I love this story because they, you know, I, they took out their data domains, they took out their tape, they put in Alta Vaults, we're saving them a million dollars this year. And that's not just like my marketing spin number, that is actual hard dollars that he's saving. Um, not only that, but specifically by getting rid of tape, he's going from two and a half full-time employees working on backup to a half employee working on backup. And those other guys get to do much more exciting projects now. He'll talk about what some of the other folks that used to just change tapes all the time, what they get to do now. So if I had you know, any argument our tape, to put a bow on our tape conversation earlier, that's my real beef with tape. Is not so much the, I mean, the recoverability, yeah, that's not good. The, but the manual labor, that's the thing that there's really no way to get around. That. Yeah, and you know what? Okay, that's that that that's fair. That that is a completely fair point. Um, to if, if you have a large enough data set and a small enough library, uh, tape rollover and tape management can be a thing, and you do have to account for that. I do think it's it, it's worth just kind of tying in and reinforcing that point, just with the the King County use case. You know, whenever we talk about new technologies, whenever we talk about things that are perceived to be quote unquote disruptive, there there's always this hesitation and this fear. You know, particularly if you're the person being disrupted. If you were that backup guy and you, you work for King County and, and you're swapping tapes in and out and this is what you do, right? This is how you make a living. Yep. And then Rachel shows up and goes, yeah, we're getting rid of all that junk. Um, we're going to replace it with this 6U box here and it's just going to all work and it'll be way easier and you guys are never going to touch tapes again. There is this natural instinct to be afraid of that, right? But the realities are IT is everywhere. Technology is so intertwined with business these days. You don't ever have to actually be worried. You know, th- there's always something that needs to be done. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, is this the most efficient use of your time? Is is, is employing two and a half people to, to shuffle tapes around a library, is that an efficient use of money? I don't think so. Yeah. Right? You know, it, 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 it's not necessarily about raw dollars and cents in, in, in that type of scenario. That the, the larger total cost definitely does enter into it. Oh, yeah. I think the days of the individual experts in small areas in IT are long gone, right? The, the exchange admin that's only focusing just on exchange or the person who's in charge. Yeah, of, the rearview mirror, at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, for those of you that are in those jobs, you might want to look a little bit bigger and a little bit broader because IT is the IT landscape is constantly changing. I'll, I'll expand that a little bit by saying that I think that expertise is probably moving towards the the consultants and the vendors. Yeah. Right at at customer sites, right? We tend to see more generalist uh, type skill sets, and, and there's always exceptions, right? Make no mistake about it. It's nothing is a law when it comes to this. But uh, generally speaking, at least that's the experience I've had over the last several years. Is the specialization is moving away from being at an individual site or an individual company. So, so I, I've been toying with asking this question, and now I'm just going to ask it because it's the appropriate time to ask it. Uh, okay. R- Rachel, th- this is your area of expertise. You are a data protection and disaster recovery specialist. Is a snapshot a backup? <laughs> All right. My professional opinion, okay, it, it, it is not a backup. A snapshot can augment a backup strategy. And a backup in and of itself is a specific thing, and a snapshot is a different thing. But if you're talking about backup as a strategy, yes, a snapshot can can be part of that backup strategy, but it is is not in and of itself a backup. Okay. I'll take that. 
I, and I actually think that that, that, that that drives everything that we've been saying about this. You know, we're, we're, we, we kid. I don't know if you listen to the show, Rachel. Probably not. Um, you're too busy talking to actual customers. Sometimes they do. Um, but, but we've been, th- this thread of backup has kind of been carrying through. You know, it started way back when we talked to uh, Neto about data protection, and then it carried on through the John Spinks and talking yep. about Snap Center. Um, and, and I just had to ask because it's, it's, it's one of those things, right, where, you know, if you talk to John and, and look at a product like Snap Center, you know, the data protection integration there is is all centered around Snap Mirror, Snap Vault, uh, and Snapshots, right? Yep. It, it, it's a very data-centric uh, viewpoint, whereas there are professionals that self-identify as, you know, working in the data protection and recovery space, and to them, the word backup means something completely different. So it's, it's it, I just thought it was worth asking. It's an interesting, I mean, the whole idea is, is, is interesting, and a lot of people don't, they don't agree, right? Uh, this is how I like to think of it, though. If you look, data protection is the umbrella, right? Data protection can include everything from backup, archive, snaps, even really, we include disaster recovery and high availability under the umbrella of data protection. That's the strategy. And then the ways you do data protection are these various approaches, you know, snaps and backups and, and replication and, and clustering. But they're all different technologies that feed towards, you know, a strategy which is to, to build a resilient organization. And, you know, my, my personal belief that a snapshot is not a backup doesn't mean that people couldn't replace their backups with snapshots. We see people doing that all the time, right, especially in NetApp environments where we have these great tools for snapshots. Um, and in the Altival world, you know, I'm actually, I'm, now that we're part of the NetApp portfolio and we're, we're really integrating more into the overall NetApp ecosystem, I'm seeing more and more customers using SnapMirror, SnapVault, and uh, using Altival, either sending those snaps uh, to AltaVault with Snap Protect, uh, or you know, actually just having their Snap Mirror, Snap Vault being one tier of protection, a faster tier, and then their backup uh, software, you know, Veeam, Veritas, whatever, going to AltaVault as another tier. So, I mean, this is all. None of these are mutually exclusive. I, you know, you kind of got to pick and choose a lot of the different components to build the strategy that works for your organization. And that is a short pitch for what Pete and I are going to be talking about at Insight. Oh yeah. So there you go, Pete. We, we we gave the the full pitch for your session. Uh, hopefully we can fill the seats. My guarantee to anybody that comes is that half the session is going to be amazing. That's all I'm going to say. My half. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, so let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything that we haven't talked. Oh, um, security. The the key management and, and data protection uh, of the actual data going from the AVA into the various different environments. I don't think we touched on that at all, Rachel. Can you go into that a little bit for us? Yeah, I can't believe I haven't talked about that yet because it's so important. I, I probably need a little bit more caffeine. But um, security is one of the most important things in this appliance, right? Everyone knows you go to the public cloud, security is the big fear. And, and I'm not I'm not blaming anyone. I mean, it's, it's scary. It's a public, it's a multi-tenant environment. Um, honestly, it is very safe. And in fact, AWS was just ranked number one for security of all clouds, which I love seeing because AWS is a great partner for us. Um, but with the alt of alt appliance, data is encrypted at all times. It actually even encrypts in line as it's being ingested onto the appliance, so it doesn't hit the local disk until it's been encrypted. That's with AES 256-bit encryption. Then when it goes to the cloud, it uses SSL or TLS, but you know TLS being preferred, yeah. uh, encryption going to the cloud. Uh, and then once again, when it's at rest in the cloud, it's encrypted again uh, with 256-bit. The whole thing is FIPS 140-2 level 1 um, compliant, and um, you know the keys never leave the data center. So when you, when you have the keys on the local appliance, you don't send them to the cloud, you keep them local, and you know, making sure that that data is, is controlled at all times. 
Um, there's also a lot of nice stuff with role-based access control um, and, you know, and uh, making sure that only the right people can get to the, the data that's on the appliance. You know, so we take the security piece really seriously, and it shows because our one of our biggest customer segments is federal government, um, and they even they will go to the public cloud. You know, some of these uh, uh, three-letter acronym agencies that are just tend to be a little bit uh, secretive, even those types of companies will go to the cloud when they see the kind of security that we have. Nice. Yeah, okay. So uh, definitely, if uh, full FIPS full FIP certification, that's kind of the one-stop shop of, yes, we did this correctly and, and we're not messing around. Yep. Uh, and and uh, Andrew and I will attest that is precisely the world that we came from. Um, that 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 uh, three-letter agency world, uh, absolutely, that sort of stuff is 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 paramount, uh, and, and was one of those things when, you know, if we go back to when the the acquisition was first announced at Insight a year ago, when we sat down and and did a very quick uh, conversation with with uh, Lee Gates, uh, talking about you know what 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 did we just buy and what is this for? Right. You know, but one of the very first things that Lee mentioned was that FIP certification and, and the ability to do encryption at, of the data at any point in time, right? Yep. The fact that, that the appliance just did not deal with non-encrypted data, you know, it, it wasn't part of the architecture. It's just always encrypted, always protected um, because of the environments that it works in. All right, uh, last question, Rachel. Uh, th- this morning I was doing my due diligence, uh, getting ready for this conversation and did a... Uh, real quick search uh, just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. And I noticed uh, th- that you have recently released a blog that we should probably mention. Amazon recently announced a new tier of, of Glacier availability. It's uh, actually it's a new tier of S3. So um, you know, ah, previously okay. their main it's cool. Um, their main two uh, cloud storage options for object stores were S3 uh, so, uh, and uh, Glacier. And S3 is the one that is you know pretty fast. It's a you know decent object store, but it's a little more expensive. Uh, it was you know about three cents per gig per month. Glacier is cold and slow, as you can imagine from the name. It was it was one cent per gig per month, but take a little longer to get your data out and could be a little more expensive. What they've now announced is something more in the middle. Um, and so it's a version of S3 that they're calling standard infrequent access. I'm calling it S3 SIA. Need to come up with a catchier name here. But um, essentially what this is, is uh, it's S3 speeds, but only one and a quarter cents per gig per month. So really good for backup uh, and archive. And we're not, we just announced, I announced on the blog that we will be supporting that uh, in Alta Vault by the end of the year. Um, so that, that's pretty exciting. We, you know, we're talking about it more at, at reInvent. And then, of course, at the same time, they did also drop the price of Glacier, which I mentioned earlier, which is now uh, under one cent per gig per month. So some of these economics are, are getting a little bit hard to ignore, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you add the the storage efficiency on top. It, that, that to me, that's the thing that makes it uh, tenable. You know, the, if 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 we didn't have that rich deduplication, uh, variable length dedupe uh, and compression engine on the other side of that data, I, I just don't think the long term costs are worth it. But with that, it's a no brainer, right? It's a slam mm-hmm. dunk. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good introduction to AltaVault. I, I, I think I know a little bit more now, and, and I will take your challenge. I'm going to deploy that virtual appliance, uh, and I will get back to you between now and Insight and let you know how it goes. Awesome. Um, re- quick recap for you. If you're, if you're interested in learning about AltaVault, you can certainly go to community.netapp.com. There are several blogs out there that talk about AltaVault, uh, the most recent of which is one that, have, uh, that Rachel just wrote about AWS. 
We've also got several sessions at Insight, some from Rachel Dines, others from other TMEs. So uh, some high level and some also some really technical deep dives. So if you're interested in AltaVault, you're going to want to be at Insight next week. If you want to get in touch with Rachel, you can find her on Twitter, at Rachel Dines. And Rachel, thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. Yeah, thanks, you guys. This was fun. All right, well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.netf.com. Check us out on our new URL at techontappodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at NetApp. Subscribe to the podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud at Tech on Tap. And until next week, bye for now. What are these virtual appliances that you keep talking about? This sounds like complicated and heavyweight. Oh, Rachel, you're going to have to put this thing on a container so Andrew will actually take a look at it. <laughs> oh, I'll work on it. Okay. So heavyweight, so complex. It's like a one gig VMDK. It's <laughs> <laughs> getting off on this. Oh yeah. Oh man. Well, time to pack your bags, boys. We've got about what seven days till Insight. Something like that. Let's do it. Go Pats. Oh man. <laughs>